Good day, and welcome to the ESPN and the Australian Open Conference Call. At this time, I'd like to turn the call over to Dave Nagel. Please go ahead. Thank you, Justin, and hello, everybody. Happy New Year, happy new tennis year, and welcome back. The Australian Open starts Monday, that's Sunday night here in North America, the start of ESPN's usual extensive first ball to last ball coverage. We are joined today by Chrissy Everett and Patrick McEnroe, who are packing for uh, a summer vacation, uh, but not really a vacation. A lot of hard work, long days down in Melbourne. And we will go around the room. We'll try to give everybody a chance. I will say who is up and who is on deck. To get started, batting leadoff from Reuters is Frank Pingay, and then it'll be Kurt Streeter at the New York Times. Hello, Frank. Hello. Good, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, hi. Yeah, uh, my, my question's for both of you. Uh, I'm just wondering, given this is the first, the first Grand Slam since uh, Serena Williams and the now infamous incident she had during the final, uh, I'm just wondering, I mean, no one's going to argue that she's you know, the greatest the greatest women's player ever. But I'm just wondering, given given that incident, not the first incident she's had with an umpire, but given the magnitude of that one, you know, can we say is her legacy at all tarnished by, by that episode at the U.S. Open? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, that, really, is that the first question of the year? That's a toughie. Um, it's going to be all easy for me. I, right <laughs> okay, okay, good, 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 good. Um, I don't think tarnished. Uh, I don't think tarnished is the word. Um, I think that her record, um, the way that she was raised, and the, the the journey, the path, the route that she took to be number one, the family, Venus, Serena, the family, Richard Williams. I mean, I think that that whole story is so overwhelming, and the fact that she dominated for so long and could break the record, could, you know, of Grand Slams. I think that that is, that will overshadow everything at the end of the day. I think that it, there will be a side note that Serena has a lot of passion and that she has at times lost her cool on the court. But I don't think um, for one minute it's going to tarnish her, her whole reputation or her record. Yeah, this is this is Patrick. Happy New Year to everybody. Um, I would I would say that uh, this is yet another chapter in the uh, incredible story of Serena Williams. You know, and there's there's a lot of positive. There's a there's a few negatives, but uh, there's no doubt that was a negative. Um, but there's no doubt that also last year, when you look at the bigger picture, the fact that she came back from having a child, she was really nowhere near 100%, and she still made the finals of Wimbledon and the U.S. Open was incredible. Uh, she seems to have sort of put it past her, which I think is, is great for her. She seems to be in a great frame of mind, you know, heading into the Australian Open. She looked very good at the Hopman Cup. That was an awesome moment to see her and Roger Federer on the same court at the same time. It was quite a way to kick off 2019, so... Um, I'm looking ahead to a great, you know, more great things from Serena. You know, that was a, that was disappointing what happened in uh, New York. We've been through that a bunch of times, but uh, overall, I'm really looking forward to seeing her back on the court this year and seeing if she can, can win another major or two. Great. Thank you both. 
Okay, next up, Kurt Streeter at the New York Times, and then Tom Parada at the Wall Street Journal. Hello, all. Uh, you know, looking at Serena's record at the Australian, she's won it uh, seven times, starting out. The, uh, her first win was in 2003. Uh, I was wondering, you know, and, and she's never really, as far as I know, had uh, any really controversial moments uh, out of, uh, you know, when she's playing in, in Melbourne, uh, as opposed to the, what's happened uh, 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 several times in, at the US Open. I'm wondering if you can speak to sort of what the Australian sort of means to me, what kind of, or means to her, what sort of uh, mindset she goes into uh, when, or that she has when she goes down to Melbourne. It seems like, you know, it's called the, you know, it, 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 that's a tournament that's known as for, for fun. Happy it land. seems like she's sort yeah. of, yeah. It seems like she's sort of in a different mindset there. Is that is that true? Do you see her going into this tournament uh, with with, a, with that sort of mindset typically? Well, I think she's fresh. I think that's one thing. But everybody else is fresh too. But this year, especially, she's had what four months off. I mean, since the Open, I don't believe she played anything after the Open, and. She she has had time off to get away from. Now she can really get away from tennis. Before maybe she couldn't get away as much, but now she's married. She has a child. She has you know a rich life, and um, she can get away from it. And so I think she's she's raring to go. Knowing her, she all you know champions are greedy in the sense of they want to keep racking up racking up the grand slams and. She has. She's in a position um, where she can break some records in, in the tennis world, and um, and I think so. But I, you know, when you talk about she, she's had a couple of incidences at the U.S. Open. I don't think it has to do with the, what, what Grand Slam it is. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. at any at any Grand Slam. It's it's, it's basically uh, sort of the umpire, the linesman, you know, Serena. But um, she does seem, as Patrick says, she does seem very, very relaxed. And the one thing I noticed was she seems fitter than she did last year. And, I mean, the scary thought, looking at some of these, the women have to be thinking at this point, oh, my gosh. I mean, she was like 60%, 70% last year reaching two finals. Um, and now she seems fitter. She seems leaner. She's moving better. Um, she, Like I said before, she's fresher. And we all know Serena's very dangerous when she's fit and when she's healthy. And you always know that the motivation's going to be there, you know, with or without a family. She had it when she was single. Maybe she has it even more so now, proving, again, her platform of, of being a working mother. Maybe that is really um, getting her all revved up and motivating her even more. So, I mean, I, I mean, looking at as Patrick said, looking at the way she played at Hopman Cup, I, she's definitely a favorite here. And um, the court has to, you know, the court if it's a little bit faster is going to favor her. Um, but I think, you know, it's just about being relaxed and it's about being healthy for her. That's when she plays her best tennis. Well, Kurt, first of all, let me preface my response by saying that many on this call may not be aware that um, you're now known for your writing ability at the big-time New York Times, but uh, back in the day you had one slippery little lefty serve that I had to deal with up at Cal Berkeley. Okay, so I want everybody on the call to be aware of that. Um, Let me write as, that far as, as far as Serena goes, I, I actually sort of compare her a little bit to how she does it to, at the Australians, a little bit to Federer in the last couple of years because – you know, to, to back up Chrissy's point, 
they both come in very relaxed, having had an off-season where they can rest their bodies, but maybe more importantly sort of retrain their bodies. Because, look, we both know that the two of them are, are, are incredible tennis players. So when you give them a chance to regroup and to, um, you know, be in one place for a couple of months to train and get themselves ready, I think that's part of the reason that they've both done really well in Australia the last couple of years. It, you have a tendency to get a bit fatigued mentally and physically by the time you get to the U.S. Open and the end of the year. Um, and I, think, I do think that that's part of the reason over the years that Serena's you know, had some major meltdowns. Most of her biggest ones have come in New York. Now there's a lot more pressure on her there. There's a lot more tension, et cetera. Uh, Australia is much more relaxed for her, um, and for Federer the same. It's obviously a huge event, but there's not, you know, the type of intensity, I think, that you get outside of the tennis arena that they have to deal with every day. So I think that that is going to mean she's going to come in with, in a really good frame of mind, you know, physically and mentally. And I think that's why you, I think both of them, Federer and Serena, have a very, you know, probably, arguably maybe their best chance to win a major at the beginning of the year. Um, obviously, Serena will have a great chance again in Wimbledon. Um, but I think for Roger especially, I, would, I could argue that this is his best chance this year to win a major is at the Australian. And, and, I, and I, from what I hear, the courts are playing fairly quick again, which they've been the last couple of years, which will be good for both of them. If I just may say one more thing, I think the having played four Grand Slams in one year um, a long time ago, I think the outlook with a, a lot of the players is also, I'm just going to go in this one, and um, if I don't do well, I have the rest of the year. And uh, this is the first one. I've got three more to look at. And I think where the pressure and the intensity is is in the summer when you have three Grand Slams in four months. I mean, that's where the pressure is. But as far as the mm-hmm. first one, I feel like they, they kind of have an out, and, and sometimes that maybe you play your best tennis when you have less pressure like that. Great. Okay, we go on Tom Parada at the Wall Street Journal and then Liz Clark at the Washington Post. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Um, Hi. I wanted, to say, I wanted to ask you about, uh, about Mari. Um, he still looks like he's, I don't know if he still looks like he's hurting, but it's not quite, he's just not quite there yet um, and not playing well and talking about playing as long as he can. But I'm wondering, are you worried at all that he's getting close to the point where he might actually consider retirement or what do you know about his injuries and, and what he's got left? Patrick, do you want to take this? Uh, sure. Uh, Tom, how are you? Happy New Year. Um you know, I would say that he's he's got some major question marks. I mean, you know, obviously even to hear him say that he's in pain, and uh, I watched a little bit of the match, actually a decent amount of the match he played with Medvedev in the first set. He looked like he was, you know, moving pretty well. Um, but as the match went on, you know, it, was, it wasn't quite 100%. So, you know, the hip is incredibly difficult to come back from for – for especially a tennis player and someone that, um, you know, has worked as hard as he's worked and, you know, put the miles on. So I'm, I'm, I'm not optimistic, unfortunately. I, I would Obviously, we'd all love to see him get back 
where he can compete, you know, at the top. And I think if he's healthy, there's obviously no doubt that he can. But uh, I have some major questions whether or not he can. Um, I hope he doesn't retire anytime soon, but I, I don't see him playing if he's not at least doesn't think he can be a factor in a major. Now, I, for that being said, I don't I don't think he'll, you know, if he can if he can be top ten in the world, uh, he would definitely keep playing in my opinion. But if he thinks that he can't do that, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he if he uh, hung him up. But I think he at least will give it this year um, to see how it plays out. I think it's always um, a really sensitive issue. Retirement is always sensitive to ask a player or to ask us about a player um, retiring. And it's, it's um, Andy Murray is one of the, you know, best champions as far as hard work and, and, you know, good hard work ethics out there. And I I think that what, what is hurting him, because to me, when I watch him, I feel pain. I feel like I'm in pain when I watch him. (laughs) I mean, I, I feel like it's not the same Andy as two or three years ago. And I think I think he'll know in the first three months of the year whether he, he's you know what his future plans are going to be, but it, it sure would help if you know he's such a grinder and he wins by hitting a lot of balls and that's going to hurt him in the long run at the end of the day because he really wants to keep the, the rally shorter and he really wants to be more aggressive and he I think that if he had a bigger service if he kept the rally shorter and was more aggressive I I think that might make a difference but his kind of game it's very much like Nadal like they're grinders and they just have to work so hard to win a point and I think at the at the in the long run that's going to help that's going to hurt him really as far as longevity is concerned thank you very much okay we go to Liz Clark at the Washington Post and then Pete Bodo at ESPN.com oh Liz hi hello Oh, happy New Year to you both. I hope my cell phone is going to hold up and is not annoying. But thank you for doing this. Um, to switch back to the women, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, given the revolving door at the slams the past two years uh, on the women's side, ha- how yeah. keen um, is your sense, both of you guys, of who who is going to enter the Australian Open on the women's side in their top form? ready to go, and, and of the bunch, who do you see as having the most staying power? Um, and I guess we leave you know, it, aside. You, you've spoken about yeah. her so well, but take it from there. You know, it's interesting. It, it is, it's a crapshoot. I mean, that's the only word I can think of. It's a definite crapshoot. And in the last two years with eight different winning winners, it's just um, – you know, it's it's a joke when people say, well, who's your pick? It's like, well, I don't have a pick, okay? Um, I never in a million years thought that Osaka would win the U.S. Open, and I never thought Kerber would win Wimbledon, and I never, you know, I mean, just some of the winners. I, I mean, Serena, um, you know, you always would count on Serena to win Grand Slams, but, but uh, and Wozniacki winning the Australian, but it, it's, uh, I think, on form, I think Serena looked good. I think she looked good at the Hopman Cup. And as I said before, her fitness seems to have improved. She looks leaner. She's moving better. That's if that serve is still working. It's a fast court. She's giving the men problems in the mixed doubles, which I love. Um, I think Osaka has, I think she's reliable and I think she's gotten some matches in and I think she's going to go in 
Um, you know, I think she'll go in pretty confident at this point. Kerber also. Kerber looked good at the Hotman Cup. Um, so those three, I would say. And then, you know, outside, outside Sabalenko looked good as usual. Um, she's the one that we need to watch, I think, for this year. But it's, it's, um, it, it just comes down to the ability, I feel, and the talent is so even with the women that it really will come down to the, the small t- intangibles, like maybe who wants it the most, maybe a little luck, you know, who isn't, who doesn't have the really tough matches where they're exhausted, um, like uh, I think Halep was last year. Um, it's, I'm talking in circles because it is a crapshoot. Well, listen, let me, let, me, let me straighten it out for you, Chrissy. And okay. hi, Liz. Oh, okay. Happy you. Because um, I told you. How are you? You, re- you, remember I to- you remember I told you all last year that Osaka was going to win a major. So let's yes. not get caught up in the details that I said it was Wimbledon and not the U.S. Open. So don't, <laughs> don't get caught up in the details of that. But I'm telling you here right now, that the winner of the Australian Open women's side is going to be Sabalenka, okay? She's going to win the Australian Open. The courts are quick. She's, she, as Chrissy said, she's going to make a breakthrough this year, and I say why not it happening at the Australian Open. Now, that being said, um, of course I agree with Chrissy. How could I disagree with her? Because, there, you know, you can make a case – Look, Halep, um, even though she just lost to Barty, she's the top seed. She's going to like it down there again. Even without our guy, Darren Cahill, I still like her chances. Um, you know, Kvitova's looked pretty good. She did just beat Sabalenka. Pliskova won um, in Brisbane. You know, she's still, uh, you know, one of those that hasn't won one. Svitolina. So, I mean, we could go down the list, and I think it's probably – more likely that we're going to see a couple of more first-time winners this year, um, like we've seen in the past, because, uh, you know, nobody's really been able to dominate um, other than Serena at, at times. So uh, it's wide open, but I'm going with Sabalenka at the Australian Open. Thank you, folks. <laughs> All right, next up is Peter Bodo from ESPN.com and then Richard Pagliaro from Tennis Now. Uh, hey guys, happy new year. Um, hey Pat, Peter, from, thank you. Thank you. A question on the on each side of the fence here. Uh, Sabalenka's played incredibly well since last fall. Is there is there any chance that she is a player who may, you know, come and and end up being a reliable, not necessarily dominating, but you know, end up winning majors for two three years? Any any reason to think that this, she might be different from the Muguruzas or the Astapenkos or anyone else. That's question number one. And number two is, is it about time for all these familiar faces who are kind of anointed with the next-gen label to really kind of start making a move, or, or, are, they, or are they really just the next generation of, of journeymen in the ATP? Um, I have no reason to believe that Sabalenka will not win um, more than one Grand Slam, like you said. I think she – why? Because I see two things. I see hunger and I see boldness. 
whether that's fearlessness or what I, I you know, it's all tied up the boldness, the fearlessness, the confidence that is, you know, that's her swagger. I see that. And I also see hunger like this girl wants it. You can see it in her eyes. She's pretty intense. So to me, those ingredients and the fact that she has the skill set and the talent that she does, she will win more than one Grand Slam in, in the next few years. So, I mean, that's my take on her. Um, Patrick, do you want to do you want to chime in there? I, I listen. I mean, I, I'm so impressed with her game. Number one, her physicality, her movement is for her size is excellent. And you said it, Chrissy. I mean, her intangibles are amazing. I mean, she's, you know, even when she lost, I watched a match with Kvitova, and uh, even when she lost a match, you know, she sort of walks to the, I mean, she's got a swagger about her. She's got a confidence. Um, Peter, I mean, who the heck knows? Is, is, you know, if she, if she wins one, is she going to stay? I mean, she looks like she's got the, the intangibles, but, you know, it's, it, there's no way to know until it happens. I mean, if it happens, well, of course, I told you it's going to happen in a couple weeks, but um, <laughs> we, we, we shall so see. Okay. Just by the way, in, in case, before I get to the, uh, the, the men's part of the question, Pete, just in case you all thought I was jiving you earlier, Kurt Streeter was ranked 448 in the world in doubles, okay, back in 1990. Now listen. Hey, you, um, know you know what? Peter's not that bad a tennis player either. I've Peter's better. He's better. At, he's better at fishing. He's better at fishing. Okay. <laughs> listen. Uh, you know, Pete. The answer to your question is yes. Are you talking about like Nisha Corey, Dimitrov, that crowd, or which Brownage? No, these are the next gen guys. You know, we're talking about the Tiafos and the uh, and Taylor Fritz and, and those guys. Varev is ahead of the pack. Clearly, he's, are you talking about the yeah. younger guys like? I think no. I think it's still. I mean, you're gonna go for like Sissipas and Hatchinoff, like that crowd. Yeah, Chung can go in there too. Hatchinoff is, is in there, yes. But I mean, all the ones kind of below Zverev, really. I mean, Torres. I guess. I don't think it's no, no, no. I, I don't. I think it's too early to pull the plug on them. No, no, because I think I think there's some big guys in there, literally and figuratively, particularly in Sissipas and. Hatchinoff, Zverev is, is obviously there at the top. I mean, he would be the best bet to win a major. Certainly Australia would be a good good situation for him. Um, but uh, I, I still like that crop of young guys coming up. I mean, I think there's some, some, some slam winners in there, you know, between the guys I've mentioned. Fritz, Tiafo are not quite at that level at the moment. Um, but, you know, they're showing some good signs. Opelka starting to make a, a little bit of a move. He's top 100 now. So on the American side, you know, we've got some guys. But I think that, you know, you put Hatchinoff, Sisipas, Shapovalov, I still think is, he's got some rounding out to do. But, you know, remember, he's still a teenager. And then you got the young Aussie who's pretty feisty and, and you know, wins a lot of matches. So I think it's pretty exciting with that group. And uh, I'll go out on a limb, Pete. There'll be more slam winners in that group than the group I was mentioning at the top. You know, because that group, there's there's none. Right. Yeah, and uh, I like team and church, too. I like them. Um, I think team, especially on the clay. He was so impressive at the U.S. Open. Oh, my God, I was impressed with him. So I think those two you have to include. Zverev and Kachinov, Sitsipas. God, are, could the names be a little bit easier? Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot of talent there for sure. Thank you, guys. All right, we will move on. Uh, one little note I uncovered. The top three on the ATP Tour are a combined 100 years old. Kind of cool. Um, Richard Pagliaro of Tennis Now is next, and Bob Larson from Tennis News. Hey, thank you so much for doing the call. It's fascinating. Um, I had two two quick ones. Is Roger and Novak, they've won 12 of the last 14 Australians. Do you see that continuing? And picking up on what Patrick was just talking about, could you see a guy who's been close like Nishikori or Sanga or Anderson, guys who've been in major finals but not broke through, could you see that happening? And lastly, on um, the Agassi-Dimitrov alliance, how do you see that? playing out. Sorry, Patrick. Well, listen, Richard, um, uh, the answer to your first question, first part of your question is, do I see that changing? I'll keep it simple. No, I don't see it changing. Okay. So in other words, it'll be Djokovic or Federer winning it. Uh, I lean towards Djokovic in a big way at the moment. Um, as far as, uh, the second part of it was, do I see one of those other guys winning a major? Is it, was that right. the second part? Right. Or he's uh, let me... getting, getting deep there. You know, a guy who's been close going deep there again. Of uh, that I could see happening, but again, I'm going to be short and sweet with the second part of it. No, <laughs> I don't see them winning one. Okay. But you know, could, could Anderson make another run? Of course. I mean, the guy's had an amazing last couple of years. You know, Raonic is just too brittle physically. Uh, Nishikori seems to be back at a pretty good level. So I could see him, you know, with the right draw, get to the quarters of the semis. But uh, the answer to your question is I do not see them winning it. I love to see Andre Agassi back in the mix. Um, if he can get some... What I, you know, what he, what he would probably call himself, you know, shot discipline and shot tolerance into the game of Grigor Dimitrov, that would be a huge positive, because Grigor, in my mind, just has way too many options and he's never really figured out how to just play meat and potato tennis, you know, which is what Agassi did at his, in his, at his best in his prime when he, you know, in his later years, he played meat and potatoes tennis. Uh, now, will Dimitrov ever be able to play exactly that style? Of course not. But if Andre can get a little bit of that into his game and his mentality, that could absolutely help him. I think that uh, to carry on about the Agassi uh, connection, um, I think he can help Dimitrov, I mean, tremendously uh, with the mental side of the game. The, as Patrick was saying, I'm just echoing the discipline um, that Agassi had, also the wisdom that he has, um, and, and, and the training. I mean, when I think of Agassi, I picture him running up hills, you know, with like sandbags on his back, you know, with Gil Ray. So um, I think that he can really um, up the intensity of the discipline and the training. And I think that Dimitrov is, you know, he's very respectful of former champions, and he, I feel like he will be motivated, more motivated with Andre. I also, it's so funny because I picked Anderson out right away. I'm looking at the top 15, 20 players that are ranked and Anderson is one also, I think that um, can, can win a major this year or even win the Australian. I think he's got, he's shown it. He's shown maturity. He's, he certainly has had a lot of 
great wins under his belt, and he's. I think that people still underestimate him a little bit. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Bob Larson from Tennis News, and then Bill Simons from Inside Tennis. I'm happy to say you'll just answer the the question on Agassi, so I'm uh, I'm covered. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. All right, we will uh, quickly move on then. Bill at Inside Tennis, and then Pete Hansen from Omni Sport. First of all, Patrick, if uh, you could uh, get to the point more often and don't beat around the bush, you're just being uh, very evasive. <laughs> just for you, Bill, just for you. Yeah, how you doing? Happy New Year. Um, Thank you, you too. Uh, a couple things. Uh, it was mentioned, I think, by Chrissy that it, it could come down to luck. Uh, obviously, our sport has a lot of elements of luck to it, draw, schedule, let cords, injury. But could you both talk about uh, the role of luck? And secondly, for you, Patrick, if you had uh, one uh, one piece of advice for incoming Captain Marty Fish, uh, what would be, that be? And secondly, for you, Chrissy, um, the late uh, President Bush was a uh, fine player. You were close to him. Can you give us your your best uh, George Bush story? George Bush one. I'm going to tell you a George Bush story right now. Um, and I don't know. I, I set I set it on the John Wertheim um, podcast. Um, the first time I ever met George Bush, um, Pam Shriver was the one that introduced us, and we went to a. Um, he was vice president then, and we were going to a dinner for the Chinese minister. And uh, I spent the night at um, President Bush's and Barbara Bush's house. Uh, and we went to the dinner. Pam was there. Um, he wanted to know all the scoop and all the gossip about the tennis players. Came home, went to bed, and 7 o'clock in the morning, I, there was a knock on my door, my bedroom door, and it was President Bush. And he said, uh, Chrissy? And I said, uh, yeah. And he said, he said, why don't you come over to bar, bars in our bedroom? We have some coffee and newspapers waiting for you. So I said, okay, well, let me get dressed first. Um, I'll be over there in a few minutes. He said, nah, don't get dressed. Just come over in your PJs. So I, hence, I walked over my PJs into their bedroom, and they're both in their PJs on the bed with newspapers thrown all over the bed, offering me a cup of coffee. I jumped on the bed and kind of lounged on it and had my cup of coffee with uh, Barr and uh, President Bush, the first time I ever met him, in bed. (laughs) I think that's pretty funny. That's pretty good. I knew right away away what kind of a guy he was. I mean, mean, the most down-to-earth, kind, you know, normal person that there was. So that's my story. And what was the other Raven. one? I might as well just... The other one was Sorry? luck. You mentioned oh, luck. Okay, well, don't say that it comes... I don't know that it comes... Don't quote me that it comes down to luck. I think that's one of the intangibles. I mean, it's also, obviously, you know, talent, and it's also hunger, and it's also fitness, and there's so many more things. But you're right. I think at the at the the... the the level of the women is so even now, and very little separates um, a winner from a runner-up or a winner from a semifinalist. Very little separates these players. There's like a handful. There's like a like a boatload of them, 15 of them in a boat in the ocean, and it's like who's 
who's going to win. It just depends on so many things. But I do think that at the end of the day, it comes down a little more to the mental aspect because I think, again, the skill set is there for all these players. And they, But I think it will come down to who's going to handle the pressure points better, who's going to handle the occasion better, you know, who who's just going to get not feel nervous. And I think that's what it's going to come down to, even more so than luck. But well, also, listen, there's always a little luck involved in winning a major. Don't you think, Patrick? Uh, no, I don't think so at all. No, no okay. luck involved. No, okay. but I do but I, I do think that there's absolutely no chance that I can top your George Bush story, okay? So I'm not even going to try when it comes to my good friend Marty Fish. And uh, when a little birdie uh, told me the news yesterday, um, Bill, I have to say that I was extremely happy uh, and very proud of uh, Marty because, um, you know, we've been through a lot together. I've seen a lot, you know, of him when he played Davis Cup. And one of my great memories, and uh, you know, was when we did win it. And, you know, he was going through some injuries at the time and coming back from injuries. And uh, when we won it and beat Russia in the final in Portland, you know, Marty was there and sat on the bench. And, you know, he was the kind of guy that no matter what, whether I asked him to play singles, to play doubles, which he did even with one of the Bryans one time in, in Spain and played amazing. Uh, and obviously the, the last tie that I had as a captain was a relegation match against Colombia in Bogota. Okay, and Marty won three matches there. And, and it was really tough conditions uh, and a tough opponent as well. And so, you know, whether or Marty was, just, you know, oftentimes he was, the, he was a bench warmer. And he handled every one of those situations with incredible class. And uh, so I know that there were some other great, you know, possibilities like Roddick and, and James Blake, who were great guys too. But I think it's a really perfect fit for Marty because uh, he's really passionate about the team part of it. He's always been a great team guy. And uh, he really loves working with the young kids. You know, he's worked quite a bit with, with Taylor Fritz and, some of the other younger guys as well. So uh, I couldn't be happier for him and for the UFTA that he's going to step into that role, and uh, I wish him all the best. You know, the one thing I can – if I just may add one thing about Marty, um, you know, he's going to be great because he is laid back. um, But for somebody who's laid back and he's not in your face, but I tell you what, he knows his stuff. And I and I mm-hmm. listen to him because he works with us in ESPN. He's worked with us, you know, for a few years now. And I've listened right. to him, and he's got a lot of wisdom, and he knows what he's talking about, and especially with strategy. And but I think he's got a, just a great way about him to communicate that to the players. So, you know, congratulations to him. Thanks, guys. Okay, next up, Pete Hansen from the Omni Sport Publication, and then uh, from RDS in Canada, Bruno Montiet. Hi, guys. Happy New Year, Happy New Year to you both. Um, my Thank question you. Is about, my question is about Sloan Stevens. Um, she's had a couple of disappointing results to start the season in, in Brisbane and Sydney. Um, do you think she'll be overly concerned by that, or do you see her challenging deep into the tournament? <laughs> oh, 
you know, um, we see the talent with this young lady. I mean, it's, she's unbelievable. She can do anything with the ball. You know, she, she is awesome to watch. She's great defense, great offense. We know, we know the talent. And I think that, I think that Sloan, when she has it all together, when, when, you know, it's a good day and she's really engaged in her tennis and her shot making and she's excited about playing and competitive, I think she's number one in the world. I think she can win any, a grand slam period. Um, but, you know, everybody's wired a little bit differently. And this, it, it isn't a criticism when, when I say that she, she is lacking in, in pure consistency, you know, the consistency that a Wozniacki will have or a Kerber will have or, you know, a Halep will have. I mean, she's lacking still in the consistency day to day, week in and week out. But she, when she has her shining moments, they're awesome, and she still has a lot left in her. Listen, I'd be worried if Sloane Stevens had won a bunch of matches going into a major. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is her MO. So, uh, I, you know, she's absolutely a threat to win it. Uh, she's, to me, she's the best pure ball striker off both wings and mover in, in women's tennis. I mean, obviously Serena can hit bigger and can serve a lot bigger, but when you just talk about pure ball striking, I mean, she's the Andre Agassi of women's tennis. Uh, you know, obviously she's not as, as, as you know, doesn't hit the ball as big but, um, and not as consistent as Andre was in his prime. But uh, I don't worry about her. You know, I mean, I, I, I honestly, when I look at her results, I mean, of course, I scra- I've got, maybe I've gotten past the point of scratch. I used to scratch my head, but now I don't because I know that, that Sloan is Sloan. And yeah, yeah. If, she, if she gets hot and gets going, there's no doubt that she can win the tournament. Absolutely no doubt. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Next up is uh, Bruno Montpitet from RDS in Canada. And then it'll be Rohan Alvarez from the Times of India. We've got some folks who are staying up very late over there. Our consultant uh, for ESPN India has been hard at work, and we'll get to Rohan first from that group. Is Bruno still with us? He got enough. I guess he got what he needed. There's been plenty of uh, of good stuff, of course. Okay, so now let's... Uh, Head over to uh, Rohan Alvarez from the Times of India, and then Preeti Raman Northy from the Hindu newspaper. Okay, hi guys, uh, Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, I just uh, um, I, I just wanted to touch on uh, one of the hot topics at the end of last season was uh, the scheduling of matches. You know, in uh, which uh, Julian Benetou. Uh, was, uh, you know, I'd expressed a bit of, uh, you know, uh, criticism of uh, the scheduling being in favor of uh, Roger Federer. I mean, I think he spoke of how 12 to 13 of his, uh, the last 14 Australian Open matches uh, took place in the in the night session. And uh, I remember Marin Cilic also expressing his uh, unhappiness on learning last year's final, you know, would be played under a closed roof, having played all his earlier ma- matches in, in outdoor conditions. So, while one understands obviously what Federer means to you know tennis's revenues, uh, is there the need for 
authorities to find some balance here? Is there scope for them to find some balance? Uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll say I'll say this, okay? Um, you know, the the players like Julian Beneteau, or really any players, to be honest, should be um, thanking Roger Federer, okay, for all he's he's done and still doing for tennis. Now, is there favoritism for the top players at majors when it comes to court assignments and schedule? Absolutely, there is, okay. It, it, does it need to be held in check at times and, you know, called out a little bit? Of course, and, and we've done that plenty of times, by the way, at ESPN, when it comes to, you know, why is Venus Williams on, on court two at Wimbledon, for example. So these kind of things happen all the time, uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that the players who get uh, the better scheduling or the better courts, et cetera, basically deserve it, okay? And basically... Um, you know, at the end of the day, the people running the events are looking at uh, filling the seats and keeping the sponsors happy and keeping the people like us at ESPN happy and keeping you reporters happy, okay? So that's part of the game, and that's part of the deal. And uh, so if you think that, you know, Serena Williams shouldn't be playing every single match on center court at night or Roger Federer shouldn't or most of them, then uh, you're not living in, a, in the reality of what uh, big-time sports entertainment is about. I, you know, I agree. It's a balance, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a sensitive balance. The tournament directors have to be sensitive to the lower-ranked players um, because the higher-ranked players are at times get precedence. But I always look at Serena and Roger, and I say, look, they can play five tournaments a year, and they can play – Anytime they want, they can dictate when they want to play because they've been on the tour for 20 years and they've been ranked number one and they've been such great spokespeople for the game of tennis and great ambassadors. And so is there a little bit of favoritism towards them? Yes, but they've, they've earned it. It's all about earning it. And it's all about like, you know, it's entertainment. This isn't all, all about tennis matches. It's also about entertainment, but at the same time, the tournament directors do have to be sensitive when it is, especially when it's a major tournament, um, to make sure everybody has the best schedule that they can have. Okay, thank, thank you both. Okay, next up we'll go to uh, Preeti at the Hindu newspaper, and then we're going to try Bruno again. I'm told he's on the line. <laughs> <laughs> hi, hi, happy New Year to you both. Hi. Thank you. Um, my question is again, yeah, about again. Um, I think Tracy, you touched a bit on it about what the Australian Open represents in the calendar year. I mean, recently some of the best matches have been played there, and do you think this Slam dictates a lot more than the other Slams in terms of uh, player conditioning and uh, and essentially what they'll be doing for the rest of the year, even physically? I mean, mentally we know that it takes some pressure off, but. Physically, and my second question is again, Patrick. You touched a bit about um, the court speed. Um, do you think um, the faster courts of the last couple of years have changed how the game is being played? So I'll just answer. I'll help you with the first one. I just feel like it's definitely the most unpredictable of the slams, and because you just don't know what players have done on their off season. You know, they've had 
Many of them have had two to three months off. You don't know if they're going to come, you know, how fit they're going to be. But for the most part, most of the players are fit and relaxed and happy. And, you know, in my mind, to be relaxed, I think nothing great is accomplished in this world unless you're in a relaxed state. And I think that's when they're going to play their best tennis. So, mm-hmm. and, and I think the eagerness. They're, they want to just dive right into um, playing the Australian Open, their first Grand Slam of the year. They want to just get off to a good start. Um, and, and there is less pressure. I mean, there definitely is less pressure because it is the first Grand Slam. Again, I feel like the pressure is in the summer when you have the French, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open within four months. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is, is the yeah. most intense time. But this is a more relaxing time, and I think it's it portrayed, and, and that's why last year we had so many great matches on the women's, women's side. I mean, the women took over mm-hmm. the, the Australian Open yeah. with their long three-set matches. Um, so that's my answer to that. I, I like I like the qu- the quicker conditions. You know, the Australian used to be sort of the slowest of the um, uh, certainly of the hard the big hardcore tournaments, but uh, that's changed in the last couple of years. Partly the impetus for that, I think, was you know those incredibly grueling physical matches with Djokovic and and Nadal, especially uh, that one particular year. So I do think that um, mm-hmm. the faster conditions have made for more exciting matches. And as, as Christy said, particularly on the women's side, it was an amazing event last year. Um, and I mm-hmm. think it, 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 it uh, rewards a good aggressive player as well as a really good server. But it also, you can play, you know, predominantly baseline tennis and, and still be successful. So I think it's the right mix. You know, the tournaments are always looking to tweak the conditions based on, where the game is, how the players are playing. You know, Wimbledon's done that, obviously, over the years to the, to the benefit, I think, of, of, the, of the spectacle of the sport. Um, and I think that uh, the Australian Open made the same move, and I think it's helped. And I think a guy who it's really helped is a guy by the name of Roger Federer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, we are going to go back to Canada, but I'm told Bruno's colleague, Antonin Bessner, is now on the line. So, Antonin, uh, here's your chance with Chrissy and Patrick, and then we will go to the Daily Tanti newspaper and Bargoff, Bargoff N, I'm told. Thank you. All right. Hello, everyone. Um, my question, obviously, is regarding our Canadian player, uh, Jeannie Bouchard. Um, she's been having some good uh, moments as of late. Uh, what do you think of, her, of the beginning of her season? And what do you expect uh, from her for the upcoming year and especially for this uh, Australian Open? She got off to a good start, you know, this year. And I actually watched her practice down at Boca Raton um, in the off season. And she was definitely working hard. You know, she was in the in the gym. She was training hard on the court. Um, she seems to have a little pep in her step, a little a little more um, energy, a positive energy in her game and herself. Um, I think she's not as fearful uh, as she was the last couple of years, kind of getting back into it. And I think she's she's starting to mature a little bit. So um, I think you know I, I think. I think good things could happen to Jeannie Bouchard this year. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously she burst onto the scene with that amazing year, and then she took, you know, a couple of major steps back. Uh, the attention, the spotlight, et cetera, the fame, 
Um, the fact that, uh, you know, her game's fairly one-dimensional, uh, I think that, that, you know, that all hit in a hurry. So it's nice to see her back. Like Chrissy said, she seems to be in a good, good frame of mind. She's obviously working hard. Uh, so I think realistically, you know, she can, you know, she's, what, 79 in the world, 80 in the world at the moment. Um, you know, I think top 30 by the end of the year is possible. I, I do think that when she made that run and she was top five in the world, that that, you know, wasn't really where she was going to stay. That's proven to be the case. But I don't think that, you know, being outside the top 50 is the case for her either. So I think uh, by the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised to see her somewhere you know, between 30 and 50 in the world. Thanks a lot. Okay, next off is Bargoff from the Daily Tanti newspaper, and then Kushik Das, he's with the Patrika newspaper. Hi, uh, Happy New Year to you both. Uh, my question is, it has now been more than 15 years since USA last had a men's singles champion. I mean, after Andy Roddick won in US Open 2003, and it's been almost close to 10 years now since anyone even made it to the final of Grand Slam. Again, after Andy Roddick in 2009, that epic final, where he lost 16-14 to Federer in Wimbledon. Are you concerned about this weight? And uh, what do you think is a solution, to, is a remedy to set things right? And do you see this weight ending anytime soon? Well, I'll just say, because this is, um, Patrick knows a lot more ins and outs than I do about the men's game in America, but I mean, the thing is, is that tennis is global now. It's worldwide. And it, what is so wrong with that? Well, isn't it, isn't it fascinating and isn't it exciting that you have so many more countries coming to the plate and producing tennis champions? I mean, that excites me. I'm, I'm kind of, I, like Patrick's expression, scratching his head. I'm, I'm done scratching my head about men's tennis in America because I appreciate the fact that it's, you know, it's become so global and it's become so worldwide and so popular. And I, I'm very happy with that. But I think that in the last few years, the last five years, I think a lot of young American players, men in particular, have um, been surfacing and, made names for themselves and had some big wins. And um, I think it's just a process, though. I think it, you know, there's a lot of talent out there, but there's also a lot of talent elsewhere around the world. Patrick, do you want to be more specific? Oh, absolutely. Listen, I mean, I'm just happy. I could normally, I, I mean, I used to get this question like every week, right, when I, when I ran the player development for the USDA. So I used to, you know, that's why I have much less hair now because I used to scratch my head every week about it. Now, you know, I'm just an interested observer. Obviously, I would love to see an American man, you know, win another major. Uh, Here's the good news and the bad news. Let me give you the bad news first. The bad news is not going to happen anytime soon, okay? That's the bad news. But nor is it happening for many other countries around the world, okay, including, you know, France, et cetera, and other, you know, huge tennis countries, Australia. Okay, but that being said, um, as Chrissy said, you know, we've, we, we, for the first time in a while, in the last couple of years, we've actually got some decent talent that's coming up and that are legitimate top 100 players. And that was always our goal with our program at the USTA to, you know, get as many really good players. And I don't think any one federation can create a champion. You know, they can build a good system, I believe, and help be part of that. 
Um, but to, to create a great, great, you know, champion, obviously, is a unique situation. So I think that, um, you know, there's a lot more better players coming out on the men's side. Uh, by the way, the system is basically the same for the women, and uh, we've done pretty darn well with, uh, you know, getting a few women into the top ten of women's tennis, and Chrissy knows a lot about that with one of her girls that trained with her, Madison Keys, for many years, and Sloane Stevens, who was also down at USTA in the Everts when she was a teenager. So um, we've had more success, we as a country, on the women's side. The reason for that okay. is fairly simple. Okay, Generally speaking, and I'm speaking generally, we have better athletes playing women's tennis than men's athletes playing tennis in our country. That's a general statement, but it's generally true. Can I can I just want to say one more thing? The the sure. the way I measure the way I measure success in American tennis is getting more kids out there playing tennis. You know, through grassroots programs or you know clubs, or public parks. That's where, where I measure success: getting more kids out there. And also, we have so many kids getting scholarships to college. Good enough. You know, maybe not not good enough to be in the top ten right now, but a lot of scholarships are going out to kids, men, uh, boys, and girls to go to college. And you know, to me, that is success just as much as getting a player into the top ten. Sure. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks. You're welcome. Well, okay. I, I, hey, Dave, Dave, I appreciate that last question, and um, since that was the last question I've got, and I've got two 15-year-old boys waiting for me here at the John McEnroe Tennis Academy, okay, I'm going to go do my part to try to help with American men's tennis, so I'm going to get off this call. Thank you all very much, and Happy New Year. Your time's appreciated. Go help them out. Thank you. Well, we were just going to have one last uh, question as we come up to the top of the hour, so we will finish with uh, Kushik Das from the Patrika newspaper in India. Okay. Okay. Hi. Hi, yeah. Hi, everybody. You got me. Uh, nice to talk to you. <laughs> uh, my question is: uh, Were you, were you uh, surprised by the way Novak Djokovic came back last year, and if uh, Novak and Roger came face to face in this Australian Open, who would be your bet? Okay. I'm sorry. I can't. You are going in and out there. Am I surprised? What? Could you repeat that? With Novak Djokovic uh, came back. How strongly he came back last year? Novak Djokovic. Right, right, right. Yeah, and okay. if he and uh, Roger and if he, he and Roger came face to face in this Australian Open, who would be your bet? That is a good question. That is. A That'd be quite a final. Um, that would be quite a final. First of all, they have to be on opposite ends of the draw. Um, I think Djokovic is um, would have to be favored, uh, obviously, to win. The Australian Open, um, they both, I believe, have won it six times, but Djokovic has found his um, mojo, and uh, he is in the groove right now. Um, he's, he's, I think, brimming with confidence. He's found his A game, and he's, you know, back to where he belongs, you know, the number one player in the world. In saying that, I was very impressed with Roger Federer and the way that he played at Hoffman Cup. And, you know, the thing is, the only, the only drawback with Roger, I think, is I think Novak can still play a few more longer matches 
and be still be in peak form if he does reach the final. And the thing that I worry about with Roger is, again, as you get a little older, I know he's fit, but just to be to play a few five set matches in a row, I I wonder how he would fare if he then played a final. Now that's why if the courts are faster and the points are are, are quicker, um, he's going to have a much better chance because he won't be on the court as long. But um, I think they both are in peak form right now, both of them. I think Nadal, you know, is injured. We don't know how he's going to play. We don't know about his health. But I think those two, um, Djokovic, you, you name them, you know, they it would be a terrific uh, final. Um, but I just think Djokovic would can last a little bit longer. Um, so I'd have to give him the slight edge. And what was the other question? About the woman, the women's side was that the other question? Whether you were surprised by how Djokovic suddenly turned it around last year? Oh, oh, and the answer to that, um, no, I wasn't surprised, and and I was absolutely shocked when people counted him out and people would say, you know, well, what's happening? What's happening to him? And is he ever going to survive? Is he ever going to come back? And can he get it back? And it was like I was always like, yeah. You know, because I think I think champions know that champions can get it back, um, and I think that that you know Novak had a lot going on in his life and a lot of other things, a lot of distractions, emotionally, mentally, and you know he took basically a time out from playing his best tennis because he he was dealing with things more important than tennis. But for him to get it back doesn't surprise me at all because he's a champion and. He knows he can compartmentalize, and he knows how to how to he knows how to get things back. He, when his back is against the wall, he knows how to make things happen. And um, once he got his, I think, personal life sorted out, he was a different player, a different person. And again, it's all come together for him, and he seems to be peaking. Thank you. All right, thank thank you all for your interest and questions. Uh, we thank Patrick and Chrissy. Thank you for your yeah. time. It all starts Sunday night here, so um, safe travels, uh, Chrissy, and anyone else who's heading down under. And appreciate the interest. Have a good day, everybody. See you guys there. Bye. Thank you. That does conclude today's conference. We do thank you for your participation. Have a wonderful day.